is a poem for you by Linda France called Dreaming the Real. I'm looking down, looking at the color of sky falling through the trees, dreaming the real, tasting what it feels like to love it. Why did it take me so long to let go? Simply exhale, so the day could breathe itself in and open without me standing in the way. How could I forget the grace of my own body, strong as this blue, tender as the white of the wild blossom, warm as the midday light? Let me practice a patience bold enough to hold every weather, trusting the elements, the beauty of rain, all of its shades of gray. I want whatever's real to be enough. At least it's a place to begin. I want whatever's real to be enough. At least it's a place to begin. And to master the art of loving it and feel it love me back under my skin. And to master the art of loving it and to feel it love me back under my skin. So that's the end of the talk. We can go home now. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> you know, poets, they say it in, you know, seven words what it takes, you know, other people an hour to say. You know. Was it Pablo Neruda or somebody who said, I wanted to write a short story, but I only had time to write a novel. It's the art of being precise with one's words, concise. So what I, I want to speak about that, what that poem is pointing to, how we can turn and meet what is, and to love what is which sounds really nice <laughs> and is easier said than done. Right? Because often we don't like what is. Right? How many of you like watching the debates? Watching the, you know, the bullying and the lies and the bigotry and the sexism and the racism and all of that, right? Hard to love what is. Right? Reality is not necessarily pretty, but it is what is. So that is one of the challenges as we walk this path of mindfulness, of awareness, of waking up, how we turn to and meet what's true, what's real in ourselves, in each other, in the world, and to see all the places that our heart is limited, is closed, is contracted, is attached to certain ideas and views and opinions and way things should be. Anybody want things to be a certain way? Just a few. <laughs> the rest of you are enlightened. <laughs> So a much oft-quoted much oft phrase of the Buddha is when he's in discussion with his attendant Ananda, his cousin who was with him for a long time, and in discussion about friendliness, this attitude of friendliness to life. And Ananda says that that must be half the spiritual life. And the Buddha said, no, that attitude friendliness, maitri, is the whole of the spiritual life. That is what we're doing here, is learning to meet life with friendliness, with receptivity, with openness, with warmth. Right? And you may, maybe can see in the, in the sitting, right? we sat for, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes, how much that was possible. One, how much were we actually present for the performance? <laughs> Which is, you know, well, if I'm a betting man, at least half the time we weren't. 
And then the times that we were present, maybe it was because our back was aching, it was, a dis- it was interrupting a nice stream of thoughts about our vacation, you know. Or we were feeling anxious about some conversation we'd had at work or annoyed with our partner because we left the house and there was a, there was a disagreement. How, how much were we able to meet that? One, with awareness, and two, to imbue it with kindness, with warmth, with an invitation. You know, as Rumi talks about in the guest house, welcome and entertain the visitors. Whatever, they, whatever blows through your house, draw your meanness, the sorrow, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, he says. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> but it's a beautiful invitation. Welcome and entertain. Maybe not entertain, but at least welcome what comes through our heart and our body. Right? So as Jack receives his call from his family of you know, his brother who's in great physical health uh, sickness, right? welcoming and entertaining and meeting that, right? That's what our practice is training us for, to meet those more difficult places in our lives, in our loved ones, in our family, in the world. So one of my favorite lines in, from Buddhist literature is from a uh, Chinese uh, meditation master from the sixth from many centuries ago um, who said there's the sixth Zen patriarch he said do not think awareness and kindness are different they are not separate awareness is the foundation of kindness kindness is the expression of awareness Awareness is the foundation of kindness. Kindness is the expression of awareness. This is one of those things you could, you know, just put on your, you know, computer screen or, you know, and reflect on it for a couple of decades. Because it's profound. Awareness is the foundation of kindness. What does he mean by that? Awareness is the foundation of of, of kindness. So the practice, the principal practice here is mindfulness, right? which is the cultivation of awareness. As we bring an attentiveness to our experience, to our heart, to our body, to change, to loss, to our vulnerabilities as a human being, over time that, that process tenderizes us, hopefully. Tenderizes our heart. We see our humanness and, and we, you know, we look at our mind and we see how crazy it is right? and busy and distracted and restless and always wanting something it doesn't have and not, never really acknowledging what we do have right? or the vulnerability of loneliness or longing or uh, our fears and anxieties right? so the more that we learn to meet to be with that to open that to meet that at some point, it, it's, it, this, the heart has to soften with it. Has to, has to hold it carefully and, and tenderly. Otherwise, we're just adding to the suffering of being human. And as we feel our own humanity and pain and challenges, as well as joys we then learn to have and develop more empathy because we can, we, can, we can really put ourselves in other's shoes because we know intimately our own experience. So we have a lot more empathy for those around us. And out of that, kindness is the expression of awareness. Out of that awareness, out of that clarity, out of that understanding, we're a little more sensitive. We're kinder. We're maybe not so cruel to ourselves because we see the painfulness of beating up on ourselves. Maybe not so judgmental to others because we see the pain of that and, and the pain of our own experience of, of being treated, mistreated. 
And perhaps we start to be more respectful and kind to the earth. Because we see how beautiful and precious and fragile this planet is. So another poem that speaks, I think, very beautifully to the humanness of our experience. And how we meet that. So this is from a beautiful poet, Marie Howe, called What the Living Do. And she's writing to her deceased brother who died of AIDS at 28 And she writes, Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. And the drainer won't work but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again. The sky is a deep, headstrong blue. And the sunlight pours in through the open living room windows because the heat's on too high in here and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again, and again later when buying a hairbrush. This is it, parking, slamming the car door shut in the cold, what you call that yearning, what you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass, We want whoever to call or not to call, a letter, a kiss. We want more and more and more of it. But there are moments, walking, when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say, in the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, my chapped face, an unbuttoned coat, that I'm speechless. I am living. I remember you. That's a very moving poem. It really speaks to the humanness and the vulnerability and and the messiness. Lives are messy and complicated. The crusty dishes piling up in the sink. The heat she can't turn off. The car door slamming shut in the cold. This is what we're invited to meet. Not pretty. Not linear. Not all neatly packaged like it looks on TV. I grew up in England and um, one of the main soaps I remember growing up as a teenager was Dallas. Everyone had these big, beautiful ranch homes <laughs> and these horses and, you know, elegant lives. And it all looked really neat. <laughs> A little dull, but neat. So as you hear these words and you're just reflecting, hopefully reflecting to yourself, well, where am I in this equation? Where am I in relationship to uh, meeting my experience? Right? And where is it easy to unfold and to open and receive? And where am I challenged? Where am I caught? Where am I resistant? Where am I stuck in blame and self-pity or whatever the grip is? And of course, those places that we're stuck and reactive and caught, we need even more kindness because they're doubly painful. And if you have, if your inner critic has also become your meditating, mindfulness, Buddhist, compassion inner critic, then it's going to add an extra layer of suffering, which is, well, you didn't do that very well, did you? That wasn't very mindful, was it? That wasn't very compassionate. Hmm. Call yourself a Buddhist? Hmm. There's all these layers. Thank you. Thank you for your opinion. That's not so helpful. I'll just do my best. Thank you very much, like I'm always trying to do. And so 
these two primary qualities, the, the, the loving heart and the, the clarity of awareness, over time, you know, the, 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 so they're referred to in the, in the tradition as wings of the bird, right? We can't fly without either wing, right? We need the wing of awareness, we need the wing of compassion. And I've added a third part to the body, which is the, the tail of wisdom. The accumulation of that awareness and kindness is we, we become more wise, more skillful, more effective. So the kindness, or just if you reflect on, on perhaps a difficult experience that you were going through or, or have gone through, right? the awareness brings the clarity, the knowing, the understanding, but it's the heart, the love that allows us to soften into the belly of the experience. I wasn't planning to read this poem, but I seem to be in a poetry reading mood, so you're going to get another poem. And I wasn't planning to talk about this dimension, but somebody mentioned it uh, in the break. So um, the other domain that's, of course, uh, begging for our attention as a, as, a, as, a, as a species is our relationship to the earth, how we, how we hold what's happening to the earth with kindness and wisdom and awareness and how we bear witness. A mindfulness practice is one of bearing witness to the truth. And as we're seeing in this election cycle, as we're seeing in the ecological crisis, not so easy, not so pretty to stand steady in the the heat of uh, the pain of what's happening as we're seeing. This is from... Mary Oliver, she says, here is a story to break your heart. Are you willing? This winter the loons came to our harbor and died one by one of nothing we could see. A friend told me of one on the shore that lifted its head and opened the elegant beak and cried out in the long, sweet savoring of its life, which, if you had dared, which you have heard it and you know is a sacred thing, and for which, if you have not heard it, you had better hurry still to where they still sing. And believe me, tell no one just where that is. The next morning, this loon speckled and iridescent and with a plan to fly home to some hidden lake was dead on the shore. I tell you this to break your heart, by which I mean only that it break open and never close again to the rest of the world. You know, sometimes, at least I started meditating in the early 80s, when it was a weird thing to do, and it was a, the organization was a cultish thing to be involved with, and most people have thought I'd lost it. Right? That was how, how times have changed. Right? Very different now, 30 years later. And I totally forgot where I was going with that story, so maybe we'll come back to that theme. <laughs> I'm not convinced meditation is good for your memory. <laughs> it's too much letting go practice. Letting go, letting go, letting go. And just thought comes, yeah, whatever. Let it go. <laughs> but we can be light with it. Then, that's, then there's no suffering, right? No stickiness. That's, that's the key. Anyhow. So... So in the, in, the, in the text, the Buddha asks us to be present to the totality of our experience. Breath, body, feelings, thoughts, states of mind, reality, and, and the laws that govern that experience, the changing nature, the selfless nature of experience. And not easy to do. Not easy to be aware and not easy necessarily to hold what arises in the context of that. And particularly, as I've, and I've sort of alluded to already, but the, the, the additional piece that makes our experience hard to be with is our attitude, is our reactivity to our experience. How often have you been feeling 
vulnerable or sad or grieving or lonely or deficient. And that's hard enough. And then your mind comes in with, well, that's pathetic. You should be over that by now. So-and-so doesn't have any of that. Right? It's like a high school, it's like a mean high school friend <laughs> who's really not on our side. <laughs> and say, wow, that's that's a lot of suffering. That's I don't that's extra, thank you. This is hard, the loneliness is hard enough without telling me why I'm the problem, why I'm alone alone. <laughs> So it's really important that we bring kindness to ourselves, kindness to these vulnerable aspects of our being. Because I don't know about you, it's barely a day I wake up with, without, or a day goes by without some difficulty happening, whether it's in my own experience or life circumstances. Right? And it may be mild compared to some of the intensity of suffering that's happening in the planet, but suffering is suffering. And so the, and the question is, how do we hold that? How do you meet that? So the next time that some difficulty rises, which might be in the next ten minutes, just be curious. Oh, here's fear, here's anxiety, here's depression, here's longing, here's emptiness. Oh, welcome, old friend, right? Most of these things are old friends, right? They're not, they're not, you know, they've been around a while, not gate crashes. Oh, anxiety, ooh, definitely prickly, difficult, hard to be with. How do we meet that? So life will keep pushing us up, pushing up against us to stretch, to grow, to find capacity. And and and, and as we cultivate awareness, presence, patience, right? These qualities grow over time. It takes time. You know, I was was telling the retreat up the hill the other day that, um, and I'm sure you've heard this story from Jack that um, a sister center to Spirit Rock is Insight Meditation Society on the East Coast. In the early days, they got some, they got some, they got kinds of mail um, addressing them with, with mistaking the, the name of the center, and, and one of them was the Instant Meditation Society, <laughs> <laughs> which I think just said more about the person who was writing, like <laughs> hoping, <laughs> can we do this quickly, please? <laughs> as painlessly as possible. No. Another poem. I told you I was in a poetry writing, poetry, poetry reading mood. Um, <clears throat> and I guess the poetry that I picked is really speaking to our humanness. And I think that's just such a simple, ordinary, and, and profound thing to come into relationship with. Our simple humanity. So this is from Robert Bly. People like us. There are people like us. There are more like us all over the world. Confused people. People who can't remember the name of their dog when they wake up. And people who love God but can't remember where he was when they went to sleep. It's all right. The world cleanses itself this way. A wrong number occurs to you in the middle of the night. You dial it. It rings just in time to save the house. And the second story man gets the wrong address where the insomniac lives. And he's lonely and they talk. And even the thief goes back to college. Even in graduate school you can wander into the wrong classroom and hear great poems lovingly spoken by the wrong professor. And on it goes. And we can judge that and we can reject that or we can just welcome that as part of the human experience. What if we were to let go of our ideals of perfectionism, our impossibly high standards for ourselves, our never-ending self-help project? 
a never-ending stack of self-help books that just looking at them feels, I don't know, depressing or something. <laughs> i got to do all that work too? Oh, God. <laughs> I think that was a significant part of my spiritual development or not when I stopped reading those books. Not that one doesn't do work on oneself, as it were, but it's not with the premise of, I'm going to perfect this thing called me, called my personality. Good luck with that project. What I love about the principles of Dharma, of mindfulness, is rather than being caught up in a never-ending self-improvement project, can I actually first radically encounter and allow what is here? Get to know what is here. And maybe the work comes not in fixing what I see, but in my relationship to it. Because it's our relationship, our attitude, our reactivity that causes so much of the strife and dis-ease and anguish not actually what we do see. It's our attitude, it's our judgment, it's our rejection of it or not that causes so much of the pain. And so, so in this, in this practice of awareness, of mindfulness, we simply be in, in ever more subtle ways with ourselves, without hiding, without turning away, without rejecting. And we actually welcome the more difficult places that I've been speaking about. So think about what are your places inside that are not easy to be with. What do you spend a, long, a lot of time running from? Deficiency, loneliness, boredom. <gasps> My God, boredom. How terrifying. This is from the Sufi poet Hafez. He says, don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut you deeply. Let it ferment and season you as few human or even divine ingredients can. Let your, don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deeply. Let it ferment and season you as few human or divine ingredients can. That's a very radical approach. That is not self-help. Let's find the 17 ways to get rid of loneliness. No, this is, let's be with loneliness. Why not? Part of being human. We feel lonely at times. We feel lonely, sometimes we feel alone. Slightly different. When we can be fully with our own loneliness, then we don't abandon ourselves. When we don't abandon ourselves, we never feel alone. When we can't be with ourselves, we feel lonely. We feel alone. When we can radically be fully in our skin, that sense of loneliness dissolves. As my teacher in India, Punjaji, used to say, when people would ask him about marriage, he would say, marry the one that never leaves you. And he wasn't talking about a person, because people leave. You might have noticed that one. Marry the one that never leaves you. What What is that that never leaves us? Potentially, anyway. We may have divorced ourselves a long time ago, so who knows? I mean, there may have been alimony and who knows what's going on. 
So it's a great koan. Marry the one that never leaves you. So when you're meditating next time, or as you're sitting tonight, pay attention to the quality of your experience and how you meet your experience and yourself. Like what attitude do you bring to the breath or your body or to your heart or to your mind? Is, is, is the attention flavored with curiosity? with intimacy, with connection, with love, with kindness? Or is it flavored with a slight aversion, a slight disdain, a slight judgment, or not so slight, or a slight distancing, or an agenda? I'll be with you, dear knee pain, if you go away, please. I'll be with you, sadness, if we can just Think about vacation afterwards because it's really hard to do with sadness. And so often we sit with a, you know, with not open arms. Right? We sit with resistance. We sit with some suppression. We sit with, you know, it's all part of being human too. But just to notice, oh, how do I, how do I meet my ongoing experience? Is there a tenderness? Is there, is there a heartfulness? Is there a welcoming or not? So I've been reflecting on this, this, uh, this fusion, one of a better word, or the, the interplay between awareness and kindness for a long time. And I, and I spend a lot of time ref- feeling into when, when in, in a moment of pure awareness, pure attention, what qualities are present when that's happening, when I'm just fully present to an experience, what's present, what's there? So you can just shout out, what qualities are present when you're fully mindful, attentive? Love. Love. There you go. What else? Huh? Kindness. Uh Uh-huh. Acceptance. Serenity. What else? Compassion. What else? When you're really mindfully attentive, what's present? What allows that to what allows that experience to happen? Curiosity. Silence. Awareness. What else? Ease. Letting go. Forgiveness, allowing, uh-huh. gratitude, uh-huh. empathy. Right, so there's a lot of different facets, right? Sometimes, it, sometimes, and sometimes that awareness can be very clear and clinical and cool. But if we really pay attention when we're, when we're, when we're mindful, there's an intimacy. With intimacy, there's connection. To allow that connection, it requires curiosity. And maybe some more things beginning with C. I can't think of them right now, but anyhow. Um, so a lot of different facets, right? So I'm going to ask the same question. What is present in the moment that you're loving? What is present? When you, when you say, say you're, you're looking at a flower or a, or a child or, a, or a, a, the eyes of a dog or something... And your, your heart's just, you're just feeling that sweet love. You see the sunrise. What qualities are present in that moment of love that allow that to be? Appreciation. Appreciation. Joy. Joy. Openness. Openness. Caring. Caring. One. One. Wonder. Wonder. Yes. Safety. Safety. Uh-huh. Non-judging. Non-judging. Peace. Sounds kind of similar to the last list, isn't it? Hmm. Right? Not so different, right? Quali- the, the, uh, qual- um, 
the experience of loving, the experience of attending, right? very similar. This is from Mary Oliver. She says, There is nothing in this world if I can pay attention to long enough that doesn't cease to foster wonder and love. If there is, I haven't found it yet. Right? When we bring our attention close to something, in ourselves and others, if we be with it fully enough, open enough, there's some connection that it kindles the heart in some way or other. I was teaching this retreat last week. I don't know if, uh, where you were. What was night? Was it was it was the night after the storm and that delicious storm we had. Um, and that beautiful rain cleansing the trees and soaking up the dry soil. And, and there was a spectacular sunset. It was like this orange fire in the sky. I'm seeing some nodding heads. Some of you were outside. And then this double rainbow appeared on these hills. It was very exquisite. And, then, and the sky was deep, dark blue, stormy clouds, and then this amazing rainbow and two came and and I was feeling that that, that infusion of when we're present when we're really present it, can, it feels like the heart's going to blow open sometimes it's so beautiful there's so much wonder and awe in the world So as you're going about your day and your practice and your lives and pay attention to where where the heart closes. Right? What what is hard for you to open to? Right? Maybe it's a particular politician, perhaps. <laughs> Mention no names, because I don't want to get into that. I am actually going to talk about equanimity and the election at Halloween on the 31st. So if you're interested in that conversation, I will be giving that a little more attention because that's a week before the election. Who knows where we'll be in that cycle by then, but anyhow. Yeah, so where does the heart close? And what would what's required to allow some some opening, some orientation, some openness to being present with that. Right? Maybe it's a particular person. Maybe it's someone you've, you know, has become other. You know, conflict, disagreement, hurts. Right? The way that we push people out of our hearts, right? or even just the memory and the thinking and the feeling about them, that itself is almost intolerable. Or maybe we've pushed ourselves out of our hearts. I was teaching this retreat on, uh, it's called Radiant Awareness, but I was exploring this integration of love and awareness and guiding people in the loving kindness practice. And, you know, it's just such, it's such a common experience that teaching people about generating kindness towards self and others and strangers and the world and difficult people. And, and more often than not, the hardest place to bring love to is where? Oneself. Right. So that's often where, our, where the work is needed. Right? In particular places. Maybe we, maybe we, we hate our body. Or we, we, we hate our mind, or we hate the emotions that come up, or we hate, who knows, the insecurities and the vulnerabilities. Right? Or we hate ourselves for our decisions that we've made. And I told this story to the group up the hill. I was, I was on the phone with my dad this weekend, and uh, last weekend, and he says, oh, so when's your, when's your book coming out? I said, oh, no, not till... Uh, Mid-November. I said, why? Because he didn't read my last book, so I have no idea why he's going <laughs> to read this book. He liked it, but it, you know, it was a nice cover. And, you know. 
Okay. <laughs> nah, it's really cruel. Um, no, but anyhow. Um, hi, Dad. <laughs> um, I realize I'm on video here. Hi, Dad. <laughs> now I'm blushing. <laughs> okay. I'll do some editing afterwards on this video. <clears throat> Anyhow, so I said, so I'm curious what, what, why you're interested when it's coming out. He said, well, he says, you know, I'm you know, getting on in life. He's in his late 70s. And, um, you know, as this time of life, I've been reflecting a lot on, on, you know, life and decisions and, you know, just places that I have a lot of regret around and, and I'm definitely, you know, I'm giving myself a hard time about, you know, just really hard to come to peace with and accept. You know, it's not in common reflection as we, as we get older. And um, I said, great, you know, I think there's plenty in the book that would be useful. Um, you know, so that's another area that we, it's hard for us to forgive. Right? You know, the, one of the hardest, one of the sort of key blocks in our heart is when, when we shut ourselves down and we can't accept, acknowledge things that we've done or things that others have done. And the heart hardens into a nut, into a ball. So the practice of forgiveness is essential as we learn to soften to those areas that we've rejected, pushed out of our heart. So I'd like to share this story from... um, a Zen teacher who had a very difficult time. I should rephrase that. She had a uh, slow, crippling illness that was her nemesis for for many, many years in her life. And I share this story because it's a beautiful uh, example of someone who, you know, as as, I have friends who have, you know, similar crippling illnesses who just show tremendous capacity both being present but also softening into but also how difficult that that journey is she says from Darlene Cohen she says people sometimes ask me where my own healing energy comes from and how in the midst of this pain this implacable slow crippling can I encourage myself and other people my answer is that my healing comes from my own despair and terror from the pain I dipped down into it again and again and flooded with healing energy. Despite the renewal and vitality it gives me to face my deepest fears, I don't go willingly when they call. I've been around that wheel a million times. First I feel the despair, but I deny it for a few days. Then its tugs become more insistent in proportion to my resistance. Finally it overwhelms me and pulls me down, kicking and screaming. It's clear I'm caught. So at last I give up to this reunion with this aspect of my adjustment to pain and loss. Immediately the release begins with the surrender. First peace and then the flood of vitality and healing energy. I can never just give up to it when I feel it, first feel it stir. You'd think after a million times with a happy ending I'd just give up right away and say, take me, I'm yours. But I never can. I always resist. I guess that's why it's called despair. If you went willingly, it'd be called something like purification or renewal or something hopeful. It's staring this pain in the face that's so terrifying, I resist it until it overwhelms me, but I've come to trust it deeply. It's enriched my life, informed my work, and taught me how not to fear the dark, how not to fear the pain. So sometimes we have to hold our hand, you know, a lot of the work I do when I'm guiding people one-on-one in sessions in, on retreats and elsewhere is I'm helping them hold their own hand to not abandon themselves so they can be with the pain or difficulties or struggles. Right? We so easily flee. We so, want, we so quickly want someone else to be there and to do the work for us. Right? It's, it's, it's great to have supportive people around us, but they can't do that work for us. And the more that we demand, the less it will be fruitful. 
So we have to be very courageous on this path. This is not, someone says on this, on this retreat I was teaching this, they're like, this is really hard work. And I said, yeah, what do you think it was going to be? Like a holiday? <laughs> and you said, well, the pictures look really nice, it's spirit rock and trees, and the people looked all very mellow, and the write-up even said you'd feel happy and peaceful or something. I'm sure it wasn't true, but you know. We, we, know, we read what we want to hear, right? So, um, you know, we have all these images, right? Time magazine, meditations like this. Mm. Right? So we think it's going to be, oh, you know, just like skipping down the road. I'm off to the meditation hall again for the 17th time today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, oh, God, no, please. <laughs> and then we show up, just like she did, time after time, you know. Not simple, not easy. But the payoff is healing. The payoff is uh, feeling whole. The payoff is feeling integrated. The payoff is not being at war with oneself. The payoff is actually finding a deep quality of peace right here in this very body that we also experience as painful or messy or difficult or are not enough. And what's key in this path, in this work, is what I call the turning. So Ajahn Chah calls, when he talks about the, the, the turn away, he says, by running away from suffering, we run towards it. By running away from suffering, we went towards it, right? And we spend a jolly lot of time running away from our suffering, right? It's just too bad it doesn't work. Because <laughs> it doesn't. Because we run around the building getting away from it, and we run around, and then, oops, we slam, we slam right into it. We go to Hawaii to try and get away from our crazy mind, and guess who shows up? Bags packed. Hi! You thought you were going to leave behind regret and worry and self-judgment and blame? Hi. You forgot your shorts and the right hat, by the way. And the house next door is much nicer than the one you rented. And don't put your swimsuit on. You know, or whatever your flavor is of that. So we, you know, we, instead of the running, at times we, as, as Darlene points to, we surrender, we yield, we soften into, we turn towards this, our heart, our body, our vulnerability. And we face what's here. Every time we sit, we have that opportunity to sit and look in the mirror. Every time you go on retreat, you have the chance to sit and look in the mirror and be with that in a very radical, uncompromising way. People come on the retreat and they see the schedule and it's like, get up at 5.30 and go to bed at 9.30 and it's all, and there's this meditation, 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 meditation. And I say, don't worry, it's a whole lot of nothing. You don't do anything at all except pay attention and do nothing, and pay attention. And be with yourself, and pay attention. So this is a poem I wrote called The Turn. And it's about this shift. Your only duty is not to run from here, from this. Even if the whole of loss burns deep in your belly and on waking you feel the dread of walking into the day exposed and bare. You could pretend try putting on a face other than your own, but that's a game that's never worked and only burns a deeper hole inside the pocket of longing, making the shell you've chosen to live in 
even more empty. But there are times when there is no choice but to surrender, to turn towards the loneliness and empty places within you've spent a lifetime running from, embracing them with delicate hands of love. The way the evening fog envelops the solitary tree without flinching, pressing into every gnarled crevice, every twisted branch, and the forgotten needles fall into the ground. This is the first step that begins the slow journey of completeness, keeps inviting you deeper into the roots of yourself, claiming your place that is waiting, that is always right here. So I invite you uh, to turn, to turn in, to turn towards, to turn to that which is perhaps being avoided, rejected, unloved, uncared for, unmet. We have a deep longing to be met, and the deepest longing to be met is ultimately with our own awareness, with our own presence, our own loving presence. So I'll just close with a little story from a dear friend of mine, Alexis, who's a Dharma teacher, lives in um, Massachusetts right now. And we were teaching a retreat together, and he had to leave the retreat early. I forget why. And this happened. So he, he, and then he wrote about this story to the, the participants. He said, I wanted to share with you something that happened this evening. On our way back from the Baltimore airport, a deer stepped in front of the car I was driving. For the next 30 minutes, I kneeled quietly in the night-lit meadow as she struggled to stand over and over again, but collapsing each time. I found myself whispering, Oh, my friend, I am so sorry. Take all the time you need. There's no rush. Take all the time you need. I had love in my heart for the deer, and I held love in my heart for myself. When the time came, I kneeled by her and placed my hand on her wounded body as she slowly parted. Tears fell, tears of openness, of allowing, of sorrow, of feeling into this sacred space. What I really wanted to say is that life is precious. You know that already. Keep practicing. It opens and transforms your heart. So let's just, before we close, let's just sit quietly for a moment. We don't need to move, just let's turn the gaze inwards. Just both meeting with awareness what's here. And also noticing can this Whatever's being held in awareness can be met with warmth, with kindness, with tenderness, with love, whatever it is. May we in all life embrace life Embrace all things with a loving awareness. So thank you for your attention. If you'd like to know a little more about my work, I do a lot of work outside of Spirit Rock. I do a lot of wilderness retreats and online meditations and teaching in organizations and teaching elsewhere. And I just did a recently interesting thing, a project with the New York Times. I did a, uh, created four virtual reality nature meditations um, for their new virtual reality app, which, you can, which is very oxymoronic but interesting. Um, anyhow, a website, the main website to get hold of me is mindfulnessintheworld.com, mindfulnessintheworld.com, and you can find out about other work. I'll be back here Halloween. I'll be back here this Saturday for the work on The Critic. Hope to see you then. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.